millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of Early Work. That's right, it's a lockdown special. We are in quarantine. I come to you recording this live from under a blanket in my own office. Call it an office, just a little room, tiny little room in my house next to the toilet. On this week's episode is Dan Schreiber. You probably know Dan Schreiber. He's from No Such Thing as a Fish. That's one of the biggest podcasts. He's hilarious. He's one of the most interesting men I have ever met in my life. Okay, He's the king of anecdotes, and he really represents that on this episode. It's ridiculous. Every time he tells a story, you think it can't be topped, and then he tops it himself within 10 seconds. And just as you're thinking, God, more stories, more anecdotes, please, Dan, he then brings out his early work, which is just as impressive absolutely sensational i wish we could have seen it live when he actually performed it hopefully someday we will when he reprises it another little thing i want to mention is that during this interview uh dan mentioned a band in australia called the angels and a man called doc neeson who was his friend's dad now at the time i bottled mentioning that i know about the angels because my dad grew up in australia and i know that the angels have this amazing song called am i ever going to see your face again And when they do it live in Australia, you know what Australians are like. They go, am I ever going to see your face again? And the whole audience go, no way, get fucked, fuck off. Right, you can find that on Spotify if you just search the angels and then look for, am I ever going to see your face again? It's in their top tracks, the live version. Wait till you get to the chorus. I think it's the third chorus in and the whole crowd sing that. It's absolutely delightful. It's such a shame I didn't bring that up to Dan because I panicked and thought, oh, maybe they're not called the angels. Maybe I've got it wrong. Go and listen to it. It's amazing. Right. And don't, I mean, listen to it after you've listened to this podcast. Listen to this podcast first, then give it five stars, and then go and listen to the angel. You're going to enjoy it. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you on the next side. Joining me on Early Work this week in a quarantine across the line special is Mr. Dan Schreiber. Hello, Dan. Hey, mate. And if you notice How are any you? kind of satellite delay, listeners, it's because there literally is one. <laughs> I asked that question yeah, 25 is... minutes ago. Hello, Reese. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, for those of you who don't know Dan, he's probably best known for when um, we lived together in Edinburgh in 2014. 2014. Yeah, that is how I uh, put it on all the sort of posters I do for my podcast, Fish. Um, they want to mention the awards. I say, no, no, no. It's the... Uh, <laughs> the shared household with Reese James. We lived together in 2014. Actually, that um, I've talked to you about this before, but that uh, living with you was such a great experience because you didn't get swept up in all the the Edinburgh-ness of it all, as far as I was aware. So basically, for those the listeners that don't know, is when you're in Edinburgh, particularly doing your debut show, which we were both doing that year, you get really yeah. obsessed with like reviews and who's coming and like, oh, am I going to become a star? And it really weighs down on you and ruins your life. But Dan... I would just wake up and then go into the kitchen and you would just be in the kitchen 
like on your laptop going oh my god there's a 95 year old ghost hunter in Canada <laughs> I'd be on my laptop going oh Steve Bennett thinks I'm shit at comedy he's even giving me two stars you'd be like yeah but check out this guy and you were so enthusiastic about all this stuff yeah the difference was though is that you had a good show and I didn't so I arrived going well this isn't going to go well I'll just I'll just enjoy it whereas you, you genuinely had a good show you did very well with the, with the with the pension of ghost hunter crowd your show went down exceptionally Oh, it was huge. Yeah, still is. I'm still doing that one that one show that all was, over the world. That was a real example, wasn't it? Didn't you tell me about a really old ghost hunter? Was it a ghost hunter? Uh, there was a ghost hunter that I discovered. So Hans Holzer, who is the ghost hunter who Ghostbusters is based on. Dan Aykroyd oh, was shit. obsessed with him. Yeah, and this guy was incredible. He was um, He wrote all the sort of seminal ghost hunting books. He turned it into journalism. He was a sort of like John Ronson or Louis Theroux of the ghost hunting world back in the day. And he passed away a few, actually it was a couple of decades ago probably now. He's been dead for a while. But his daughter has has got his talent, she says, uh, that she can go and do that. So she does ghost, hunt, ghost hunting tours in America, in New York. And as part of it, she channels her father. So he's now a ghost ghost hunter he, he's part of the ghost hunting in these houses, oh, looking what? for ghosts as a ghost. Yeah. It's an oh, amazing... Wow. So uh, not only is it a pensioner who's a ghost hunter, it's literally a dead man who is now he's ghost a dead, hunting. He's, yeah, he's a so ghost, old. Ghost hunter. That is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I presume, to and be honest, he, I was about to turn the whole podcast into being well with that. I'm assuming you've already done a podcast about this, as is the nature no, of the no, I don't think I've spoken about it before. I, I found out in the course of it that Dan Aykroyd genuinely believes in ghosts, as he does in aliens as well. But he claims one night that he was in bed and he noticed that a ghost was laying next to him in the bed. And he said, I thought, what do I do? Do I freak out? Do I get out? Um, he decided instead to spend the night with the ghost. So he spooned the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> he spent a night spooning this, this male ghost in bed with him. Um, I don't know if he found out his name or anything. I think he was gone in the morning, but he's he's fully into it. So Ghostbusters is not a parody; it's it's him living out a fantasy. And it turns out that all the um, all the porn parodies of Ghostbusters are also true. <laughs> <laughs> it's also based on something that happened to Dan Aykroyd. Good to yeah, know. he's just writing under pseudonyms. <laughs> uh, now, Dan, if I had to guess what you were like at school, and I do because it's the first format point of the show, um, I have written. Now, I know that you went to. Diff- schools in different countries right so you went to one yes. in australia did yeah. you go to school in hong kong you were born in hong kong yeah i was born in hong kong so my first school up until 12 was hong kong and the, so you went to international school is that right yeah so this That's is right. I, I don't know what that experience is like so this these guesses are potentially based too much on what british schools are like but what i put are i think you were the rarest of school paradoxes being nerdy but popular I reckon yeah. you were a teacher's pet who didn't get bullied, which is still part of the paradox. Um, I'd say you've got such an inquisitive mind and an infectious sense of enthusiasm. I think you broke down the barriers of what being a cool kid in school means. And I'd say any kind of school leadership position, I'd think you'd have been a shoe in for. And just a little bit of detail, I think you're the sort of person who would have had an over-the-shoulder satchel bag before anyone else. Am I correct? <laughs> You're correct on everything but the satchel bag. You really seem like someone who breaks new ground in the backpack game. Yeah, I know. I wish I did. I'm thinking now that I've cocked up, but um, that's so weird. Everything else you said, even though it's an asshole thing to admit it, is completely 
correct. I was the nerdy guy who was liked by the older kids and the, the kids below. And like, yeah, just everything you said. How did you get that? Because that's what you like now. <laughs> I'm, uh, not, I'm not changing anything. <laughs> You're this nerdy guy that everyone loves. So I just went, oh, what was it like at all? Probably that. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, it was like that. I mean, in Hong Kong, it was, you know, there was a thing of I was the only caucasian in my year everyone was either half white and then half chinese or japanese or um my one of my best friends max uh maximilian he used to call himself maxabillion at school so he was really <laughs> cool um he was half japanese he is rather half japanese half german and he has an amazing thing where because it was very confusing hong kong uh, with all these different cultures coming together his mum, who speaks Japanese, doesn't speak English. She speaks broken English and doesn't speak German. His dad speaks German and broken English, but no Japanese. And Max speaks English, but neither Japanese nor German. So no one in his family can communicate with each other perfectly. So that's, that's the why weirdest scenario. No one in his family has called him out for calling himself Maxabillion because no one knows what he's fucking yeah. saying. <laughs> if, he was, if he was in a family with anyone who speaks his language, they'd go, don't do that, mate. I mean, obviously, don't yeah. call yourself Maxabillion. Um, that's yeah. amazing. I mean... This is like one of your stories. This is this is this is a ghost ghost hunter, as far as I'm concerned. It's a ghost ghost hunter, yeah. Maximilian no, so who I doesn't was... communicate with his own parents because they will speak different languages. It's and it's completely true. I mean, we had there was another kid at my school who's one of my best friends. So Max actually and I were in a band later uh, with this other guy, Amrish. Uh, what was and the band Amrish, called, please? Uh, we were called the Art of Loving. <laughs> How old were you at the time? Twenty-five. Oh, mate. Oh, yeah, no. we took it off. It was a philosophy book that was in the toilet. I mean, it was a joke, the the, the band name. We were also called Bluey Music and Sien, which is a Chinese word. But Amrish, who was the drummer in the band, and Amrish, incredible sort of drummer, but in terrible memory. He can never remember where we were in the song. Like, he just didn't know <laughs> our songs. And these were songs that we wrote together. So we'd get to the end of the song, and he'd still be playing. He's the only one still playing. And we're like, Amrish, why are you playing? And he would say, oh, I, I thought we were at the bridge. <laughs> so um, that's absolutely insane. Well, I've never he, heard anything like that. But he, uh, in Hong Kong, his family is from uh, India. His parents are both from there, and all his family who were in Hong Kong were from there. Um, but he went to a German school... And he speaks with an American accent. So he's he's just culturally, he was all over the shop, you know, living in a Chinese country. Um, and that, that was all, that was that whole grouping. So I was weirdly a minority in Hong Kong because I was a, a full Caucasian. Everyone else in my year, barring maybe one or two people of 60 kids, were half Chinese, half Japanese or so on. So that was, that was a really odd thing. How does that blend with uh, trying to be creative at school? Like, are you encouraged, because it's an international school, but you're in Hong Kong, are you encouraged to try and make things, draw, write anything? I know that was a young age, but it, or is it more about education? No, in Hong Kong, it was really about academia, but I never really cared about that. I, I had two parents who didn't go to university, didn't really do much schooling. They're both hairdressers. And they met in Hong Kong and set up a salon. It was a very bizarre place to do that. And so education to them, they were more just like, oh, just have fun, do what you want. Mm. Um, but they spent a fortune on our education there. And um, the school, for some reason, they just really liked us being creative. Uh, like, I mean, me particularly. They just let me do whatever I wanted to do. So we started like a school comic uh, that, you know, parodied the teachers and uh, stuff How like that. How old were you then? was... Uh, eight or nine wow that's pretty precocious i was really straight away i was really into 
comedians and I, I used to read like I was looking back at all my early Halloween costumes and they're all me dressed as Charlie Chaplin or Wayne from Wayne's World or one year I went as Dame Edna Everidge totally <laughs> failed I ended up looking like like my English teacher um but that I mean, blends it was in really with your comics, just parodying the teachers. This, this is what they come to expect of you at that stage, Dan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, so that was quite, it was quite young. I was kind of doing... What was the, the um, did the comic have a name? No, I, I can't remember. I know who I did it with. It was a guy called Daniel Chan, who I was obsessed with. He was like the cool Chinese kid. That was, there was one thing that I really was into was I really wanted to be Chinese. I still feel more comfortable around Chinese people. Like when you grow up in a culture and you're not something from that culture i was a white kid i was just like man i just wish i was trying why couldn't i have been chinese like it's so much cooler this is just fucking cooler and i'm this weird white kid and daniel chan was nerdy as hell but had that coolness about him and coolness to me in the way that you kind of identify with other comics i was like oh yeah this guy's this guy's awesome and he had a bowl haircut um which i really wanted right Um, i think i had one of them back in the day yeah, I, I had it for years and years. Uh, I'd lost it as I got older. I, my parents actually, because as I say, they were hairdressers. They used to give me a bowl haircut because for weir- a weird reason, up until I was about eight or nine, I didn't have a full forehead. It, the the insides of my hair came really close into my forehead. I had like a like a two point oh, forehead. Oh, you're, you're one of those maniacs. Yeah, so he like just a had what, a re- like, just had a really low hairline, a really naturally super low, low hairline. hairline. Yeah, I, but it came in. It came in on the sides as well. So I had just like a little rectangle. Yeah, little I know middle. what you're talking about. And to be honest, I never used to notice those people. But as my hairline recedes dr- drastically, as I get closer to my 30s, I've started yeah. to really become aware and extremely jealous of all of those people. Yeah, well, I've only I've only in the last 10 years got an actual like normal forehead. So that's a really lucky thing because I've receded like crazy. If you consider how small, uh, <laughs> yeah, but if you the actually space got, was originally, you've got quite a low hairline. You've got like a nicely positioned hairline, but that's taken. That's you fully receding now. That's you in that's old it. age. You're an old it, man. It, with this, exactly. With this perfect hairline. That's it. You've got to start there. God. And it's so funny that you wanted, you were looking at that going, I wish I was Chinese and had a forehead. The grass is always greener, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> so then you had a bit, so your, your hairdresser parents, who by the way, yeah. must have been absolutely gutted to have a freak like you as a kid. <laughs> all they want is a kid with normal hair so they can do crazy stuff with the hair and they've got this kid oh god it's he's got too much hair there's too much to play with here so they had to give you a bowl cut so that it would come and cover that hairline was that the idea yeah yeah that's the idea and it, yeah it was horrible for them because they were in hong kong they moved at a time when it still was kind of classic chinese haircuts in hong kong and suddenly madonna got massive like out of nowhere madonna hit asia and everyone wanted madonna's hair um they wanted the styles and that was the first time really where hair just suddenly went into the great sort of fashions that they are now in in hong kong and my parents were the only western hairdressers who'd open up a salon so everyone came to them so they were suddenly doing the hair of the stars and they were invited to all the parties and you know when madonna came in town they would do madonna's hair or they did um barbara bush's hair or you know dad would do ringo Starr's beard like stuff like that if these people came in god and i'd be around with a bowl haircut just you know (laughs) and everyone would come into the hairdresser and point at you and go i want what he's got Who's that cool kid? I, I, I want the I want the Dan Schreiber, please. Yeah. <laughs> Can you glue hair to my forehead and get it to shrink to his level? 
Yeah, so, so they um, have some big names. So did your parents have a wall where they were photographed with all these people? No, they never did that. I, I always really regretted that. Because they never I had a wall I'm, of fame in their hairdressers. They never no. bothered. I think there was one photo which was with my dad with Dr. Ruth. Um, the, I mean, of, of the, all the names you've listed, <laughs> to go, this is the one I'm taking a picture of. I can't yeah. miss this opportunity. The only other one we have is of my dad... Um, with Imelda Marcos because he franchised the salon to the Philippines and my dad's got a really beautiful voice he used to do uh sort of karaoke versions where he would sing BG songs and he could sing like a BG he would sing like Andy Gibb who was the fourth one who OD quite <laughs> early um so everyone's like wow you sound like Andy Gibb and in the Philippines because I guess they didn't have many people to put on their sort of Jonathan Ross style shows there was a guy called Johnny Litton and he used to get my dad to come on and just sing karaoke songs on his prime time Philippines show and Imelda Marcos was watching it one night and she saw my dad doing it and he got a letter saying I loved your singing Bee Gees songs I would like you to come to my house and sing Bee Gees with me so my dad you can't say no to Imelda Marcos um she's she's too powerful there she's got too many mafia-esque connections so he used to go all the time to Imelda Marcos's house and just sing karaoke with her and then leave again. And that's the only other Wall of Fame thing that I've ever seen in that our is house. Absolutely insane. Everything you've said to me so far in this episode <laughs> puts every other guest to shame. But other people's anecdotes are like, oh, yeah, when I was at school, oh, my, I lost my bag and my folder fell in the puddle. You have come on and gone, sorry, my dad was forced at gunpoint to sing karaoke with Imelda Marcos <laughs> after cutting Paul McCartney's hair or whatever. It's ridiculous. And and there's a fucking ghost ghost hunter. Every bit of information yeah. is mental. I was in a band called The Art of Loving. I was 25. <laughs> I mean, we're straight in on this. That's why you've got to do these recordings over the internet. Because suddenly you're in the comfort of your own home. You're willing to tell me these things. If we were in person, there's no chance you'd have told me this. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have just gone, yeah, you know, I did all right in my GCSEs. And that would have been the end of the podcast. But this, oh, mate, this is, I can't believe it. I think this is, I mean, this is just Hong Kong. This is, you know. We're not even, in, we're not even in Australia yet. We haven't even gone no, to Australia we haven't even, yet. No, haven't even touched Australia yet. Yeah. It was really weird. When my dad saw, so he said one of the weirdest things Imelda Marcos said to him was she, she complained going, you know, Roger, I get so, my dad's called Roger. I get so upset. Everyone always goes on about my shoes, my massive collection of shoes. And he thought it was like, oh, okay, yeah, because you stole millions from the country. And that's, you know, it's a sign of um, how well you were doing publicly to have that many shoes but she followed it up by going yeah they never talk about the fact that i have uh the world's largest collection of silverware (laughs) that's that's what you want and he was really nervous when he met her because in hong kong he used to have these two buddies who came in all the time who were uh they would come to the salon get their haircut and they were just such cool guys that my dad would end up going out for drinks with them and they would party a lot And they used to come into town once a month. And my dad one day said that he was waiting for them because they had a booking to come in. And the day before, one of the guys came in and said, Roger, I need to talk to you. Um, This is uh, a bit serious. Can we go somewhere else? And he went, yeah, yeah, sure. So they sat down and he said, I just got to let you know that the guy you've been hanging out with and me, we're not who you think we are. This guy has been one of the biggest drug traders in and out of Hong Kong for many, many years. And I've been undercover with, and I can't remember if it was the CIA or the FBI, or it was one of those big organizations. I've been undercover this whole time trying to get him. And yesterday we finally got him 
properly like we've we've busted him he's now uh, in in jail or he's you know waiting in a prison somewhere i need to let you know because you're going to be investigated now because we've been hanging out with you but i know that you had nothing to do with this so this is absolutely fine um but you need to know that you're about to be investigated now this guy then went on to discover the marcos millions that were missing he was the guy who tracked down where all this missing money had went. So my dad was convinced, as he was driving to Imelda Marcos's house, that she knew that he was connected with this guy, this investigator, who had busted, opened the case of the Marcos millions, and was going to have him killed. So as he was on his way to do karaoke, and during karaoke, the whole thing was, am I going to be killed, literally, by Marcos for this connection? It's a very weird thing for him to... I bet, going through his head at the time, he was thinking, oh, am I going to die with my son only ever having a bowl cut. And no, <laughs> I didn't get to do a single good style on him. All and this a time. Of Dr. Ruth. <laughs> Just all I've got is a picture of Dr. Ruth, the son with a bowl cut. And yes, I'm involved in the discovering of the millions. But now <laughs> I have to pay for it. That is absolutely amazing. And now also, because when you go to the hairdresser, the conversation, a little bit dry, right? When you get a haircut, quite often. Um, not for me, if you're listening, Paul Sweeney. He's my friend and he cuts my hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, Paul. Paul. Love chatting to you. But before I went to Paul, when it was strangers cutting my hair, always a bit dry. Where are you going on holiday? That's the cliche, isn't it? Oh, what are you up to today? All that sort of stuff. Now, when people are visiting your parents' salon, there's some stories. They got some stuff to say. I mean, I don't know how that's going to come up organically. Where are you going anywhere nice on your holiday? Yeah, going to Hong Kong. Oh, funny you should mention Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this haircut's going to take three hours, but it's going to be absolutely enthralling. Yeah. Manila, you say? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a contact there if you need some singing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they do have they do have crazy stories. Um, I, it was a crazy time. Hong Kong in the eighties was a really mad place. It was it was so affluent. It was so bizarre. It was cultures were just smashing into each other, and it was a billionaire's land. Like the school we went to, we never knew this at the time, but there were people in our classes who were who are the heirs to. That you know, my sister's best friend uh, Sammy, her dad, or rather her grandfather, runs the Shangri La hotels globally. Um, we had no idea. Like we just we found this all out when we were in our twenties because you just didn't talk about it. You just we were just being kids. I don't know why we just weren't curious about what anyone's parents did. Um, of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. I grew up thinking, well, no one knows what their dad does. Yeah, unless your dad is a postman, and then it's obvious. But if your dad's just like, oh, he puts on a suit and he leaves the house, you just go, like, well, no one knows. No one knows what his job is. He could be absolutely anything. Yeah, that, that exactly. Could, that, that could be a lawyer or it could be a prostitute, for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I found out how my parents met. If you were at a school that was mostly focused on academia, but you were doing things like you created a comic and stuff yeah. like that and you, you we never you, released it we never finished it i should just say oh so uh, you didn't put it you didn't put it out no there. we never put it out so it's just for your mates to look at no we didn't even get that far we, it was literally we, just the two of you yeah we were just sat in a room the, the headmaster's room um he gave us the room to do it in and we just couldn't bash out enough of it to for it to be um released Oh, that's not normally a problem, though. You've been to the Edinburgh Fringe. You've seen what people are up to. <laughs> you don't need to have enough of anything. This is this this format. This format alone. There's not really enough here. Um, so when you were... You then moved to Australia and you went to high yeah. school in Australia? Yeah, so I was 13 when I arrived. And was that a more encouraging environment to um, to do stuff like creative writing? 
Yeah, so I I went to a Rudolf Steiner school, which is a it's a hippie school basically. Um, it was set up by this guy Rudolf Steiner in Austria, and he he really believed it was more about sort of your aura and your your passage through uh, Earth and understanding plants and all that sort of stuff. It was it was so hippie vibes, and I got there. It was year seven. I had a really I had a really odd experience actually. I I was very scared of white people when I arrived in Australia, as I was always whenever I visited England, because I was never, I'd never been around that many white people in one big grouping, right? And so I had this weird kind of unique experience, I would say, of walking into a room when I was a kid, a new school room, being the only um, kid who was afraid of the same ethnicity in the room i always sympathize with how hard that is for if you're if you're in a predominantly white society and a, and, a, and you walk in and you're not white um how really intimidating that is and scary i got i was petrified of the guy who it turned out was the kid that everyone bullied in the class i just saw i picked him thinking this guy's gonna kick my ass straight away um and it took it took quite a few years for me to get over the that sort of fear of walking into a room full of just white people because it so really thought, genuinely you thought this boy you 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 saw a guy just to clarify and went that guy's going to kick my ass and it turned yeah. out he was the guy that everyone kicked his ass yeah yeah like everyone <laughs> what a judging every character. single person yeah. <laughs> i completely the exact, picked the wrong person the exact wrong person to be scared of yeah, and then this other guy came up to me and said, you're called Dan, I'm called Dan too. There can't be two Dans in this class. And I thought, oh, well, great. Now he's going to kick my ass as well. Um, he's he's and still then you my, were like, one of my... I've got just the thing, Dan a billion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was honestly, it was, it took, that took a long time to, uh, to get over. But um, immediately the school was really cool. It was a hippie school. It was set in the bush in Australia. It was in it was in the city, like across the bridge towards the northern beaches. But it was down a hill, and we were just surrounded in trees. And there was some of the classrooms were raised huts and stuff like that. Um, and that was the place where they valued creativity over academia. Uh, I was very lucky to be sent there. I think because uh, all the stuff that I would do was I just wanted to write funny stuff at that point. I was really obsessed at 13 with Spike Milligan and Blackadder and Fry and Laurie and all all these huge British influences. And then on the other side, the Marx Brothers and uh, Buster Keaton and Seinfeld and Friends and all those sitcoms that were coming out. I was, from a very young age, was was totally clicked into that. And so when we used to write sort of assignments for English or science, I used to just put jokes in there. And I used to get marks back from the teachers saying, I've given you a higher mark. Um, you got a lot of stuff wrong, but you made me laugh at three o'clock in the morning when I was trying to mark this. And that kind of encouraged me. And I, I went on with that. So I remember specifically writing a analysis of um, Sylvia Plath's Ariel um, but I interpreted it as if she was talking about The Little Mermaid as opposed to the actual subject matter. And it was right. so weird. It actually really lent itself to the comparisons. And she gave me an A plus for it. And I used to fuck everyone off because they were writing proper responses to it that you should be doing. That's and I was dicking that about. Like get you suspended in my school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the difference with Steiner. It really is a weird education. It gets a lot of shit. If you look at it online, everyone hates it. But I think they're confusing it with... Because it has this kind of spiritual 
idea behind it and um everyone thinks that when you're a kid and you go to it they're brainwashing you into thinking of to think like that and i i really always think people who say that aren't giving kids enough credit for intelligence because you don't buy into that stuff you arrive and you're like great you mean we can dick about a bit more that's that's the side i want i don't i'm not going to suddenly start wearing hessian bags and you know going around dancing with poles which was one of our classes by the way we had an actual we had an actual lesson called eurythmy which is a dance that rudolf steiner created so you spent the hour with a single metal pole dancing and moving it in different positions um we, which we were by told- the way is now everyone's home workout yes. <laughs> currently the, the amount yeah. of people doing that on youtube videos to go you can just do it with body weight look just get your just get the end of your hoover just get a broom and just dance around like Steiner. Did we all go to that hippie school? <laughs> that's mad. It's finally that's, come in. That's a man mad on power. If he's just gone, it, it's almost like he's, it sounds to me, I've only just heard of this man. Like he's created a school just to get more people doing the dance he invented. <laughs> <laughs> it that seems is... like his main passion was the dance all along. And he's gone, oh, no one's doing it. I know. I'll put it on the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just format an entire school system around it he he um yeah it was it was it was a weird thing i've never properly looked into you with me but you were given a gold pole and you would walk back and forth it wasn't quick it wasn't strenuous it was very simple moves and we used to be taught by a guy called mr um can can you say teachers names on a show like this is it i wouldn't worry about it mate we don't have the listenership for it to be an issue yeah okay cool so mr he was uh he was he used to have a, a bit of anger about him and i think it was largely because and he was very open with us he had oh god no this is uh, we had a few vasectomies done uh, so he wanted sorry, to stop having sorry sorry what what did yeah. you just say so well what is it when you cut off so that you can't um he, wait did you say that he had had he had had vasectomy. a few vasectomies done yeah right sorry i i it must be the internet connection because i thought you said we had had a few vasectomies done. As if, <laughs> right. if you just told me this school was not a cult, and now you're telling me they're giving vasectomies to children. Yeah, no. Um, so he, yeah, he why had, he had a few? Why a few? Well, because he, him and his wife, this is, you know, this is gossip mongering here. He told it to me personally, but I feel like over the years I might have <laughs> translated this, but he and his wife um, had some kids and they didn't want any more. So he got the snip. Um, then they decided they wanted kids, so he got reattached. And then they decided, actually, we don't want any more kids, so he got snip again. And I think there might have been one more reattachment um, in there. Yeah. But he used to get in a lot of trouble. He kept swearing at us all the time. He would he would be um, he threw he threw one of my friends, Dominic, out the window uh, one time because he he God, he this guy really doesn't want kids. <laughs> <laughs> He was he was an interesting character, and he used to have to swap his swearing for marsupials, <laughs> which was a very bizarre thing. So he would go like, "Yo, wombat!" He would just yell <laughs> just these very bizarre curses at us. Um, so yeah, dancing was a big part of our school, um, and the teachers let me write stuff. And the thing I'm going to talk about later in the show was a thing that I got to write, star, and direct as a result of us having so many music teachers who arrived at the school and left and arrived and left that we finally had a British teacher. This was in the space of one academic year who arrived and said, it's unfair for me to put you through the exams. You haven't had a consistent teacher. You haven't really learned anything. Why don't we do a project um, instead? And, and I said, well, I could write this thing. And that's what we, what I'll talk about later is what we ended up making. Um, 
But it oh, was also. Awesome. Let's talk about it now. What, what is it? What? Uh... It's a musical. Um, it was a music class. We needed something that was music based, but we couldn't think what it was. And I think in a in a group chat, I said, um, "Hey, why don't we do a play? But well, we'll do a musical. Let's let's do that." And everyone got excited by that, but no one really was interested in writing it. And I was very much obsessed with the Goon Show and Blackadder and stuff at that point. So I was like, "Oh, can I can I have a bash at it?" And they all said yes. So we had to think of the idea and we based it on... So I was in a band at school as well and there was a guy Sorry, in our... No, as you know, name of that band, please. It was Dime Cross Red. Dime Cross Red. What does that yeah, mean? Yeah, cross, cross with a K. Um, I think we wanted something that sounded like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and also <laughs> something that was like the Beastie Boys. It was with two guys, Dan, who I told you before, uh, threatened me because I had the same first name. Um, oh, so sorry, so this guy, he, he thinks his, the school's not big enough to have two Dans, but a, a two-person band is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he was originally in a I mean, band that's the with... sort of madness that you get from dancing around with a gold stick for the whole day for, t- for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's really... So as I say, he's still uh, one of my best friends. We lived in London for many years together. Um, so his dad was one of the biggest rock stars ever in Australia, uh, who sadly passed away a few years ago, but he was called Doc Neeson. And he uh, was part of a band called The Angels, who at the time were bigger in their heyday than ACDC and all these other bands. Right. Um, so he had a real, he had a rock and roll attitude about him. He would walk around be like, I'm the son of a fucking rock star. Um, and so that's what, but he was joking, he said, when he said that Dan thing to me. But obviously I was scared because I was in a class full of white people <laughs> and I I was trying not to shit myself. So I missed the joke probably. But so he was in the band. My friend Xander was in the band. Uh, Xander, who went under the name um, DJ Comma was his name. He was a DJ. Okay, but he took his time. Yeah, took his time. <laughs> he paused, he like pauses. <laughs> Every now and then he'd just stop a track just for a little bit and then start it again. Lovely stuff. Um, Sorry, mate, I've been self-isolating for a long time. I've basically gone fully insane at this point. I've, I've not attempted a joke for a long time. That's the best I can do. DJ Comma, what can also- I do with that? Oh, turns out, fucking nothing. Continue, please. <laughs> I was. Uh, my name was Frisco. I went as Frisco. Uh, Why is that? I don't know, it was a Marx Brothers... Um, tribute but i couldn't work out where i got frisk from but there you go frisco. <laughs> okay. um and and then this other guy called simon jankelson and simon jankelson well jankelson Maze, rather but great great name already doesn't great need, name doesn't need a stage name yeah great name and he arrived in the school as a he came from the uh the eastern suburbs of sydney which is like bondi beach area and he'd gone to school with a bit more of a crowd that were i would say a bit more rough um he 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 called himself a homie it's what we in australia used to call um kids who would wear their trousers low and like take your money on the street they were homies and uh like i don't know what it was here i don't know what you call it here but Uh, did you call it homies as well Criminal, criminal. He was, but like, this was, Homie was like, he came from a rich family. So it wasn't like, it, it was just a sort of way of life. You, yeah. you sort of were on the streets. So he he came into the school like that. And we kind of gradually broke him out of it by taking the piss out of it. And the way we took the piss out of it was we would always take his surname and create this character where he would go, Jenkinson says, you best be doing this thing to me or something like that. And he would always laugh at that. And eventually he took that character on himself 
And he would always say, well, Jengelson's not happy with that. He always, if we're in band <laughs> practice, he would, we would hit a chord and he goes, mm, Jengelson doesn't like that chord. And it sort of became him as opposed to it being a parody anymore. He sort of just became Jengelson. So the musical idea I proposed was Jengelson, the musical, and he's the lead character in this musical. And uh, so the story that we built up behind this, behind this musical was there's a crisis on earth where um there's some there's a moment in history where evil can reign if a concert doesn't happen this specific concert has to happen god is aware that this might happen and the devil's trying to work out how he can make it happen stop the concert and take over the universe he can't go up onto earth because if he goes up onto earth he's gonna be detected by god so he has to send his long lost son who he's paid no attention to called draxley up to earth to try and capture everyone who's involved in the concert's voice in jar in a jar and by stopping their voices <laughs> the concert can't go on so god suddenly sees that everyone's losing their voices so he employs jenkelson lord mechanic of music to go down and investigate what's going on and that's the basic plot of the amazing um, i mean it's amazing there's there are musicals in the west end that are less thought out than that <laughs> well it, it, the idea was nice but the writing was uh terrible um it's, so got the full- a, um it's got a real tenacious d sound to it yeah that's true that's true i wonder if i was listening to tenacious d at that time i must have been really the whole de- just this- like yeah the devil trying to stop this concert there's a there's i mean maybe it's just jack black because there's slight school of rock aspects to it yeah as, yeah in there as well um, and did it actually get performed in the school yeah it did once we did one performance of it and it was so the guy who came in the teacher was called christian Lilycrap, and he was our music teacher from britain right lily crap yeah lily crap so he was, so he obviously he, um yeah he must have been bullied uh he immediately went call me christian so we never <laughs> yeah you would have to wouldn't you <laughs> yeah we never really got to his surname um that's, that, was... maybe that's what all those teachers are all those teachers going but you could just call me james is it because <laughs> oh my name is james dong <laughs> yeah <laughs> my name is philip massive schlong but just call me <laughs> phil <laughs> he he was um it's an interesting thing because like uh when you think back on this stuff like i was i was thinking about this play and i had to write to my mum who's living in sydney with my family uh, and say can you dig this up for me because i'm going to talk about it and i was thinking christian actually was the t- you know that teacher we all have that teacher this was the guy this was the pivotal moment for me because i'd never done anything like this and he said okay go for it and i wrote i this very uh that little britain sketch i wrote all the songs i wrote all the lyrics i wrote uh the script i directed it i starred in it as well as one of the lead characters <laughs> power um, mad yeah, well, I, I I played God in the in the musical. I played the role of God, um, and so full title of the play, by the way, was Jenkelson the Musical. Brackets. Oh no, or oh no, Black Plague Charlie has come to town again. I think that was the exact title of the so play. So say it again, Jenkelson the Musical. Yep. Brackets or oh no, Black Plague Charlie's come to town. So we, we, I wrote it in this kind of feverish, I stayed at home and I, I think I had a week to write it. And so I stayed at home, I wrote it and I sent in the bits of paper to Sashi, who was my really close friend and she typed it up and it was really rude. Like it was, it was really, really rude. There was a lot of 
adult humor in there which you could not perform to a school and as a result christian who had just arrived at the school as a teacher his i swear to god this is true his hair went gray during the process of this because he was so nervous he was gonna be fired for being the person who put on this play and we rehearsed it for about two months and we were going to do one performance on a saturday to all the parents and whoever wanted to come so it was out of school hours and then a week before we were meant to do it jankelson gets in a fight with the teacher on the drive leading out of the school and gets expelled. Oh my god. Our teacher, Mr. Naylor, said to us he can't be a part of the play. So there was suddenly a moment where we were going to have to do the play where someone else was going to have to come in and be Jenkelson as opposed to Jenkelson himself because he was playing himself. Um, and we all said, no, we'd rather not do the play. We had a real Dead Poet Society moment where I'd been taken away by this teacher and he said, I need your support in this meeting because you're the, you're the big person behind this. You're the director and so on. If you're on my side, then we can get this done in time and we'll spend extra time in rehearsal and stuff. And I said, I, I just don't know how, how I'll respond to this. And then we're in the meeting. I said, I'm afraid I think we should stop. And one by one, everyone was like, I'm not going to do it if Jenkelson's not doing it. I'm not oh, doing it. Not doing it. Yeah. Amazing. And then, and this is how good Steiner was, the school. Um, Mr. Naylor then went, that was beautiful. We're doing the play. Simon could come back. <laughs> what? He could come yeah. back? He, he didn't back. come back. He was still expelled, but he was allowed on the premises for, for the this one Swan occasion. Song. This, Yeah, exactly. A play dedicated Sending to him. him off. Oh my God. What a send off. Imagine yeah. getting expelled and then you've got, you literally end your school career with your name, the musical. <laughs> days after being expelled. <laughs> Oh, that is absolutely inconceivable. <laughs> so do you? So what do you have? You have the scripts of this musical, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I got sent the scripts. I've sent you a, a few um, screen grabs of it. So maybe you can find the one that says Jenkelson the Musical at the top. What do you want me to... Uh... You can do all the dialogue for this first bit. This is a voiceover and I can just do the stage directions. Okay, so I'll be the voice. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, you'll be what, the voice. What should we do? We're we just doing Act One. Act One, Scene, scene one. one. Okay, yeah. J- Jenkelson the Musical, written by Dan Schreiber, Act One, Scene One. Okay, so curtains open. It's a completely dark stage. No lights are on. Music is playing in the background, sort of uh, godly like music. In the beginning was the Word of God, which oddly enough was eyebrow, and hence the creation of planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> On the first day, God said, let there be light. Middle of stage, light comes on. On the second day, God said, let there be plants and animals. Right hand of the stage, lights come on, a separate spotlight to show a pot plant with a flower in it on the ground and a robotic pig comes out from the side saying oink. On the third day, God created man. Left hand stage light comes on with a fully naked man crouching down and my friend carl did that he was naked on stage (laughs) crouched down um he he goes on to play a leading character called draxley but this was his first moment on stage true it was a hideously ugly man but still nonetheless a man and on the fourth day god rested which is the biblical term for right can't be bothered anymore with this one let's play around with mars but one aspect was never covered by the bible music and what part it not true. Of course, oh, it was it in... covered. Of course, yeah. it was covered. Yeah. Um, music and what part it played on the history of the world. So here, for the first time, is the lost tale of Jenkelson, Lord Mechanic of Music. 
And then we go into a big song, which was um, use it used. Uh, Je- it was Jenkelson, the savior of the world, Jenkelson. <laughs> and and then we wrote. Wait, I had wait, wait. These... So where, where did you get that tune from? Um, so uh, I think it just came to me. I don't know where that is. Came. It the... Oh, the... wait. So is that the actual tune, or just the one that came to your head just then? No, no, no. That was the actual tune. We started with that a show. Right before I saw any musical when I was a kid. On yeah. The Simpsons, they're doing Guys and Dolls. They're doing Star Wars Guys and Dolls, right? Yeah. We went on a school trip to see Guys and Dolls when I was at school. Uh, and then everyone came off the coach at the end and was like, well, that was an absolute ripoff. They didn't even sing the Guys and Dolls song. And now when I retell that story, people always say, what's the Guys and Dolls song? And in The Simpsons, they sing Guys and Dolls. We're just a <laughs> bunch of crazy guys and dolls. Oh, we're love, we're love, we're love, guys and dolls. And we all thought that was going to be in the musical because everyone had heard of it from The Simpsons before and everyone was furious. So you have Jenkelson. He's just yeah. a bunch of crazy Jenkelson. <laughs> yeah, that was genuinely the song that we had. Um, we should have gone actually... on a school trip to see Jenkelson instead. We'd have been satisfied. Mate, I wish you were there. I wish we could go back <laughs> and get you in the booth. So um, do you remember the lyrics? Do you remember the song lyrics? I do. My sister actually sent them to me. Let me just see if I can quickly find them. Because we use that as the just as a parody musical opening, but then it went into verses in between, which were a tune that I've, I'd written, but I, I can't remember what that tune is now. It's so long ago. So it was Jenkelson, the saviour of our world is Jenkelson. He'll, he best be making... So he best be was the line that he would... You best be was always... So he best be making right. lots of Jenkelson ha-has and Jenkelson ho-hos. My God, he's really going to set us free. And then I, I can't remember the tune for all this stuff, but this is this is what I'm talking about with... Um, so Sashi would come forward and say, well, I was once a regular Jill, but now an alcoholic and on the pill. We were 15, <laughs> wow. 16. Yeah, we were 15, 16 doing this. Um, Jay Israel, who's a buddy of mine, would then come up and say, I was once a regular Mick with an enormous 20-foot Jenkelson, the saviour of <laughs> yes. our mothers. So it was really bullshitly immature. Um, and I can't remember the rest of that song, but that was that was the opening of the whole thing. Um, big opening. huge. Huge. You've got to open big. you got to open with Jenkelson. Exactly. The next thing we've got here is scene. So how about scene five? We've got a bit of that. Yeah. So scene five was me being God. So. Okay. So you be God. And I'll, I'll be God. Be this, I'll be the angel. Yes. Okay. So corner of the stage. So Satan was on. If you were in the audience to your left hand side was Satan sort of in front of the curtain. And I was on your right. None of us were properly on the middle of the stage. We were always sort of just so the curtain could close and we would come out. Um, so corner stage, God is sitting on a chair. I am God, creator of the universe, Lord of Earth, and I'm bloody bored off my ass. Now, I played it like John Cleese. I wasn't doing it just then, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, so, I think you should. I'm I think you should be playing it as John Cleese, please. I am God, creator of the universe, Lord of the Earth, and I am bloody bored off my ass. What could I interest you in a game of darts, ruler of the world? No, no. Apparently something bad is going to happen unless we get some work done. Bring out the manuscript. Angel hands God a manuscript. God reads the manuscript. Dear me. Apparently somebody's trying to kill me. What am I going to do? (laughs) Oh, Lord, you're immortal. Yes, but he doesn't know that, does he? I'm sorry, what? Hold on a minute. This man is Satan. Right, we'll see about that. Let two things be known to all angels. One, Satan 
may be scheming something very dangerous. And two, I like two lumps of sugar in my tea, not one. So whoever the dirty culprits are, I've got my eyes on you. Hmm. Lights down. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great comedy. <laughs> I like the idea that God can't get his cup of tea made correctly, even though he's God, creator of the universe, completely um, omnipotent. Yeah, I don't think anything in this, uh, as I said, I was... If he so likes young. two sugars in his tea, why wouldn't he just make tea sweeter in the first place? Because he's because as you're as you're learning very early doors, he's not a very competent god. It's not as simple as what we're told down here on Earth. He's he doesn't really know what's going on. Right, you've changed the game. I see. Yeah, I've rewritten the role of God <laughs> to be a buffoon. And this is long before Bruce or Evan Almighty were on our cinema screens. I'm still trying to get some compensation for their ripping off my script uh yeah of course i'm still trying to get compensation for my evan almighty cinema ticket um <laughs> so, so what yes. do we have we, we have scene eight do you need to we have a bit of scene eight we've got enough of it to do do we yes. need um do we need catching up on where we're at here oh scene eight no scene eight was this weird thing where i had a teacher who would come out and would explain ex- inexplicable moments as if it were a lesson so he had a sort of um a big gown on and he had a a stick um what were those called those uh my staff no not like not like a wizardy thing like you know like a teacher might point with a oh right yeah yeah a, a pointer yeah a pointer He'd come out <laughs> yeah. with a pointer and a at a, at a robe and I, it was just more. I was just shocked that we were able to say stuff like this. So there's a scene just before where God's in heaven, and I suddenly uh, say, "Hold on to that thought. I need to urinate." And then I turn around and I start peeing, sort of off stage. And then I, I yell over my shoulder, "Angel, just out of curiosity, where did the drain pipes of my toilet lead to?" And he says, "Ah, nowhere. You need to know." And then my friend Pat would come out just lean out of the center of the stage through the curtain and go oh no it's raining again and then disappear and then the teacher came out who was my friend Xander who was DJ Comma in the band in Dime Cross Red or Illegal 106 uh, as we were also called Um, (laughs) Illegal 106 we got the dirty tricks Um, so he would say uh, now class I think it's time I explain to you the religious weather system you see when it's raining God is making wee wee when it is windy God is ridding his system of gastral air aka arse mist and when it is snowing well I'll just leave that one up to the imagination like again you can see why yeah. Christian was going grey He this was is unacceptable yeah it's unacceptable I, I don't know how we were allowed to do this Who, so the audience was people's parents right it was people's parents, it was teachers, it was students. Like, we didn't put any kind of, like, parental guidance or, like, you've got to be was a this, certain um, age. How, how was this being received? Oh, it was great. I mean, I, I, my memory of it was it was a great night. It was as perfect a night as I could have hoped for. It was just everything went to plan. All the cues went right. No one forgot their lines. Um, and the teachers were really enthusiastic about it and wanted to put it on in the school afterwards except simon was expelled so he was allowed one saturday performance but not a not a school time performance it's just classic jenkelson um so the way the story progresses is you've got this main plot where draxley goes up onto the earth and he starts stealing voices you have jenkelson who's going around and becomes the teacher of the choir 
so that he can get inside in order to investigate. In order to investigate it and get that role, he kills the teacher, which you find out as he says, I'm the new teacher. And they say, where's the old one? And he lifts a head up behind the uh, the desk. And, and this is a man who has just been expelled for saying fuck off to a teacher and everyone hates you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't think, might have to rewrite that bit. <laughs> We didn't have time. We didn't have time yeah. to do any... Re- I mean, I didn't have the time to do a second draft. This was all just off whatever came out of the pencil when I wrote it. Um, but yeah, um, so that happens. You've got a subplot in between of Albert and Dorothy where he's saying, I love you, she's kicking him in the balls, leaves to nowhere. Uh, and then eventually we get to the climatic moment. Um, and had had all these weird little characters as well. Whenever that... Mer- like when he shows that the teacher is dead... Um, suddenly Sashi dressed as a classic opera singer with that sort of horned helmet wearing kind of armor would jump on and say I'm the opera singing detective and I'm here to investigate this murder and then someone would shoot her and she would die there's a lot of death in this (laughs) (laughs) I think I didn't know how to get characters off stage so I just killed them (laughs) in the moment Um, and and that's the power of God that's someone who's playing God yeah, exactly. And then uh, there were a bunch of songs in between. Um, there was a great one called Doomed, which everyone sang. I think that was my favorite composition. Again, I can't really remember, but it was sort of doomed, bloody doomed. Evil will rain on us. We'll live in hell. Yes, there's nothing we can do. Doomed. Oh, we're doomed. And, and then each character, um, the devil would be like, yes, I've done it. Can't believe I've done it. This is amazing. And God would be like, I can't believe I've lost. This fucking sucks. Um, and, <laughs> And so that I think that was my favorite song of the the whole thing, and it culminates with the um, the oh this this was a very odd bit of the plot. Um, this was this was Jenkelson's idea. Um, he wanted an assassin who was a neo Nazi to come after him, and at the end of the play, the neo Nazi shoots Jenkelson, who's just retrieved the jar from Draxley. He's managed to get the jar of voices and he's about to release it one hour until this concert's meant to happen. So they think that's why they're singing, singing doomed because they're like, it's, it's all over. And he's about to open the jar when suddenly this neo-Nazi comes in to kill him and he does shoot him in the leg, I think it is, and he drops down. But in dropping, he drops the jar and it smashes on the ground, releasing all of the voices. And that means that everything is saved. And that leads to the ultimate final song of Jenkelson, He Saved Us, uh, reprise right wow. at the end. Yeah. So it's shall we one. save? Scene, we've got long scene 17 and we've got scene 20. Should we save yes. them for your big finale? Yeah, let's do the that. Play, and then we'll put some production under... And that can play us out, yeah? Yes, yeah. Okay, so Dan, it comes to the time where I'm going to have to score you. I've got to rate you on three different categories. Okay. Those categories, uh, if you remember, are originality, pure teen horniness, and Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score. How close is it to your work now? Does it show the potential of the future star you've got on to become? Now, first of all, originality. Look, what we're looking at is a five out of five, pretty close to five out of five, given that I've never heard of anything that you've said in this whole podcast. <laughs> it's not just the work, all the stories. I know that doesn't count, but every aspect of you in this podcast is the most original thing I've ever heard. However, <laughs> the, the tune of the Jenkelson song is the same as the Simpsons interpretation of Guys and Dolls. Yes. Four, I'll go four out of five, just because of that, just because yep. you... Just because cool. of that tune. I mean, it's fair enough to have copied that. The whole thing is a parody anyway, but four out of five for originality. Pure teen horniness... 
You've got stuff about being on the pill in there. You've got a guy getting kicked on the balls for saying I love you. Um, <laughs> that's that snow reference. I think I know what that's referring to. So I've got a pretty much... <laughs> I mean, there's, there's... I don't know if you think there is or not, but I'd say there's some horniness throughout that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot there's, of a na- there's a naked man at the, in the opening scene of your play. Straight away, yeah. Of your musical. So I will go... Uh, I'm going to go four out of five. Pure teen horniness as well. Wow. Do you think that's fair? Is that big numbers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose. I mean, I, I've not, I've not seen you do a musical in adult life. I've not no. seen you do anything. You, you don't write anything this filthy. I don't write anything like this at all. I don't do any acting either. So, I, I mean, it's got to be a one. It's got to be a one out of five. One, because of the ingenuity of it and the originality in it being it's just a mad thing to become obsessed with. I'll give you the, the one. but the, <laughs> <laughs> And I mean that in a positive way. But <laughs> you miss out on the other four because, you, I mean, I cannot imagine. It's a big surprise to me that this is what you made when you were younger. I cannot yeah. imagine you having made this. So that means you get nine out of 15. That is a very respectable score. Wow, great. Um, Thank you. Congratulations, yeah. <laughs> And it comes time for me now to read uh, a piece of my own. Yep. Um, and for you to score that. Now, this I wrote when I was 17, kind of a similar age, I suppose. Were you six, fifth, How old were you when you wrote yours? 15? I was 15, 16, yeah. 15, 16. So I was a little bit older than that. And I chose this one today because it's all about time. And uh, I think the opening line of this poem expresses how we all potentially feel in quarantine. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> time doesn't really exist. Time's a dictatorial list. What is time but a number that tells me to be awake or a ticking disappearing, letting me asleep today? Time's a distance. Time's a place of inconsistency, a missed assistance. Time is of the essence. Time is a blessing. It's a message just letting me learn a coming lesson. My time is Western. Time is melting over trees. Time is the disease, only cured by eternities. Take time as you please. It's time for me to let time let me be. That was amazing. No, 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 no. What? not amazing. Do you like it? I did. I think your delivery as well is... is I, I always get confused with poetry because any sort of good or bad poem is just good to me when someone delivers it confidently like you did just then. I was trying to take the piss out of myself in that delivery, but good to see that you, you saw that right. as me going, this is excellent. Uh, well, there's definitely lines in there that are a bit mad. Time's a dictatorial Could- list. Don't know what I meant by that. Yeah, okay, so time's a dictatorial... Yeah, what, well, come on, break it down. What, what were you trying to get out there? Well, list rhymes with exist. Mm-hmm. So I know, why, I know why that word's there. But what is but, it? It's a list of numbers? So it's dictatorial because it doesn't break away from the progressive... Yeah, it dictates, it's, yeah, it's a dicta- it dictates what we have to do. And it's in a, I guess... I, I, uh, oh, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, so I was thinking, as you were singing it, there's a David Bowie song, which is Time... Uh, time takes a cigarette, puts it in your mouth. It's rock and roll suicide. Sure. Um, so I I might need to hear some more lyrics again because I started singing that song in my head as you were reading. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, time is a blessing. It's a message just letting me learn a coming lesson. My time is Western. Little oh, gag in there. Oh, come on. Pause there. My time little- is Western. Very nice. <laughs> Little gag in there, I think that's meant to be. Um, this classic uh, 17-year-old Reese James line here, time is the disease. I, from doing this podcast, I've learned that I pretty much use the word disease in everything I wrote. 
I didn't mean for that to be that appropriate to what's going on in the world at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out time is not the disease. COVID-19 is very much the disease. But um, I always use disease because it rhymes with loads of stuff. Time is melting over trees. Now, I'm pr- pleased with that line, I've got to say. What's that mean? Time is melting That is a trees. reference to Salvador Dali, I believe. Oh, nice. That's the sort of pretentious wanker I was and am. Time is melting <gasps> over trees. Just clocks in it. Clocks, That's, clocks melting on trees. I th- did you have did you have someone like me at school who was liked by the the jocks and stuff who could have gone? This guy's fucking amazing. Did you hear this trees line with the, with the <laughs> well, time? Sorry, when, when you're saying this, you're assuming that I wasn't one of the jocks. You're assuming that I wasn't the guy who was liked. You're assuming I had to have another guy who would back me up, right? That's what you're suggesting. What makes you say that? You said, That's... did you have a guy that could have said your poems weren't shit? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I meant. Yeah. No, I did absolutely. That's what I meant. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Was that not you? Were you not that guy? I was the. I was one of the jocks, actually, mate. Thank you very Were much. Were you? Were you really? No, not a jock. Not a jock. So I need you to score that poem if you yep. can on the same categories. They are number one, originality out of five. Um, I well, I, I don't read too much poetry, so I don't know who you're emulating or stealing from there. I know Sylvia Plath stuff quite well and Clive James, and it's not like either of those. So I'm going to give you a, a five for originality. Yes. <laughs> Good. It wasn't like two people, so it's really original. <laughs> um, pure teen horniness. Oh, five. Oh yeah. Reeks of horniness. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 the smell that I got. If you if you had to ask for the smell. Yeah, that's me. Time doesn't really exist is me going, it doesn't matter that I haven't lost my virginity yet because there's not even any (laughs) such thing as time. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I thought it was more confident. I thought this is someone who's been around. I thought this was sort of you laying on your bed um, just going, oh, I dabble in poetry and time, this one would be the one you'd pull out of the bag. Here's something I scribbled earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they'd be like, ah, the Dali reference. I love it. I can confirm it was not that. It was very much what I said. (laughs) <laughs> uh okay so two fives that's pretty impressive and then the other yeah. one is mickey mickey mouse club uh how much does it represent who i am today well the beats of it i think represent quite a lot of who you are you have the the very one-linery those lines i know poetry is broken up in that way so that's a a, a dumb thing to say but uh, there's something about even in your delivery of it yeah i know you're doing a parody of it but I, I felt like, yeah, I was still listening to the Reese I Know there. Um, just, just it was clever, clever lyrics, like, clever, sorry, um, stanzas, clever, clever words. Great poetry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a huge Reese. poetry fan. Great poetry. Um, <laughs> I, I would give that a three because I, for, for the performance side, the delivery side, would you have delivered it like that when you wrote it? I just wouldn't have delivered it. There's just no chance I ever would have said mm. it out loud. This is probably okay. the first time it's been said out loud. Well, it sounds like it's it's what's sharpened your Twitter one-liner skills, your mock the week, uh, jump into the middle with the microphone, and your stand-up. <laughs> I, you know, if I'd time came up, the week. if time yeah. came up on mock the week as a subject, <laughs> I'd be disappointed if that didn't come out of you. If I, yeah, God, fucking hell, unlikely things to hear <laughs> from a seventeen-year-old. Time doesn't really exist. Time's a dictatorial list. I can't wait. Do it. If we if we ever allowed to film a TV show again, I can't wait to go in the middle and read that. 
um, so that's 13 I get 13 out of 15 so I right. win the episode 13 to 9 I'm afraid yes um, nice <laughs> thank you I've got to say though the message of the podcast is we are both losers there are no winners here so all that leaves is for you to play us out with the final scene oh yes yeah okay so, so I've actually uh, the, where I left us was the moment where the final big tune comes in um, the reprise so Jenkelson has saved the day He's, he's stopped evil from taking over. God is happy. Satan is distraught. And everyone has their voice again. So it comes out with this big song. And then we go back to the curtains closing. And it's dark. Everyone thinks the play is over. But then the voice comes over the darkness. And the voice says, And so is the tale of Jenkelson, Lord Mechanic of Music. Unfortunately, just as the concert ended, a boy named Charlie arrived in town, who was infected with the Black Plague, and within five minutes, everyone was dead. <gasps> Curtains open up again, it shows everybody lying dead on the ground. I think we had Black Plague Charlie standing there, who was my friend Pat, who goes, Oh no, not again! And then the curtains close. Um, but that's not that didn't make it to the script. <laughs> he didn't need it. Didn't, didn't need it in the script. It. it was obvious. Yeah. It was obvious he was going to do that. <laughs> um, absolutely incredible. Dan, thank you so much. I mean, there's so much to take in from this podcast. People could study this. There's, I mean, there's so much. Max Abillion is going on. Billion, the yeah. Art of Loving. Uh, Dime Cross Red. Illegal 106. They got the dirty tricks. We got <laughs> the dirty tricks. So there it was, the Dan Schreiber episode of Early Work. What a lot to unpack. Good grief. I mean, you've got his dad singing for Imelda Marcos, worried that he's going to get killed because he's involved with some mafia shit, cutting Ringo Starr's beard. you got Dan attending a school in which one of the lessons is to dance around with a gold stick because obviously, in reality, it's not a school, it's a cult. you got his friend getting expelled days before they perform a musical about him, named after him, Dan playing God, and lest we forget, Max Abillion absolutely amazing episode make sure you follow dan he is at schreiberland on pretty much everything i believe um obviously subscribe to his podcast no such thing as a fish go and check that out if you haven't already it's from the people behind qi the elves dan is a qi elf that's why he's so interesting i mean it does feel pointless to promote a podcast as big as no such thing as a fish on a tiny podcast like this that's one of the biggest podcasts in the world it's definitely one of the biggest in this country if anything they should be plugging this in fact you know what it's a fucking disgrace they're not plugging this they should be plugging this every week I'm going to get all of them on this and then see if eventually they finally mention it on theirs and then I overtake them and early work becomes the number one <laughs> oldest trick in the book it's classic I learned that from Dan who plays God and likes to humiliate his friends by making them get naked on stage and then calling them ugly in a voiceover subscribe to early work if you're new uh, it's loads more stuff like this loads of people reading out the things crazy things they wrote when they were teenagers before they're doing the jobs they do now um, please give us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts if you feel like doing that i'm going to continue to bring you lockdown episodes so i will see you next week <laughs>